see beauty as prettiness, as ugliness, as airbrush, as Photoshop, as magazine covers and facial features and body images. That's why so many people struggle with that nowadays. But in the kingdom of God, it's so much more than that. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. You remember that Jesus has just revealed to the disciples fully who he is. They have asked that question, who do men say that I am? Some have said John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. And then Jesus zeroes in and says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Peter, because flesh and blood hadn't told you this, but my father who is in heaven. And then he begins to reveal that he must be crucified and be killed and then be raised again on the third day. And he says what it really means to follow after Jesus is to deny yourself and to take up the cross. Try to gain the world and you'll lose it. But lose your soul, you'll gain everything that comes with it. And he says at the very end of chapter 16, if you'll remember, that for those who are standing there, some who will be here who will not see death until they see the Son of Man coming in glory. I believe that's what Matthew 17 talks about when we discuss the transfiguration, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1 of this chapter. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes and Pharisees say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Six days after he has revealed that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus takes the three closest to him of the twelve, James and Peter and John, and takes them up to a high mountain alone. And the scripture speaks of this transfiguration. To transfigure is to transform something, to make more beautiful and elevated. And the glory of the Lord in the Old Testament is often described as high and lifted up. So a mountain is appropriate here. You know, mountains have significant symbolism in the Bible. I often think as I'm hiking out in Hoosier National Forest, there's some there's some trails that get pretty steep, at least in my opinion. And I always remind myself as I'm walking up, who hath ascended the hill of the Lord? Well, mountains have extreme significance for those who read about scriptural events. Moses was on Mount Sinai when he received the Ten Commandments, and he came down on fire for God. Abraham was on Mount Moriah when God stayed his hand and said, Abraham, Abraham, do not slay your son, for the Lord will provide. 
Elijah was at Mount Horeb receiving the oracles of God. The church I used to pastor was called Mount Tabor. Jesus will later be on the Mount of Olives. And here's the difference between the culture of that day and the Israelites. The culture of that day, the Greeks would consult the oracle of Delphi. Whether to make peace or whether to go to war, they would go to Delphi. They would consult this oracle and this sage and decide what to be done with their lives. The Jews, however, when they were following the Lord, would go on top of the mountain. And rather than consulting a magic ball or a horoscope or an astrological chart, they heard from the very oracles of God. And so when Moses comes down from that mountain, the glory of the Lord is so bright and shining on him that he has to cover a veil over his face for three days. So great is God's glory. But it's only a shadow of the glory that comes here because the Bible tells us that on one of these mountains, Jesus was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And when the disciples, Peter, James, and John, were finally able to open their eyes, they saw Moses on one side representing the law. They saw Elijah on the other side representing the prophets, Jesus as the fulfillment of the law, Jesus as the prophesied prophet. And you'll remember something about Elijah. He didn't die. Caught up with a chariot of fire in a whirlwind. The grave of Moses was never found. And in fact, if you've been with us in the study of Pastor Bob's gone through on Malachi in chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, this is reference. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. And in the middle of all this, as the glory of the Lord is coming down, Peter tries to figure out something to say. And he sticks his spiritual foot in his mouth, as he often does. He says, Lord, it's, it's good that we're here today. If I was him, I'd use a different adjective. Maybe say it's the greatest that, that we're here today. And then he suggests that they build three types of tents. And maybe he's thinking of an Old Testament tabernacle setup. Maybe he's thinking of the, the Feast of Tabernacles. But it seems like he's trying to make some type of memorial here. One for Elijah one for Jesus and one for Moses. And if you think about a Greek culture that really resounded on glory, conquest, victory, to the victor belong the spoils, or if you think of a modern-day sports culture where regardless of where you win or lose, everybody gets a trophy, Peter is trying to honor everyone here, but once again, he's thinking in human terms rather than divine terms. He's thinking in terms of man rather than in terms of God because the kingdom of man will never compare to the kingdom of God. And before Peter can get the rest of the words out of his mouth, a bright cloud overshadows them. Clouds have significance as well, similar to how God led the children of Israel out of Egypt to Moses on Mount Sinai when he saw the glory of the Lord covered him up. The Shekinah glory of God filled the tabernacle and later it filled Solomon's temple. So much so that Isaiah will write in chapter 4 verse 6 of his book that the glory of the Lord will shelter Zion when the branch of the Lord brings restoration to Jerusalem. And Jesus himself will reference the glory that the Son shared with the Father before the world began. Dear friend, when you see the glory of the living God, you will never be the same. Our culture is so messed up in how we see beauty. 
We see beauty as prettiness, as ugliness, as airbrushed, as photoshopped, as magazine covers and facial features and body images. That's why so many people struggle with that nowadays. But in the kingdom of God, it's so much more than that. Have you ever seen the, the movie Forrest Gump? It's one of my favorite films. Forrest is a simple man, and yet he has a unique perspective on all of society. I love watching that movie. Well, you know, his, uh, his lifelong companion friend is Jenny. It's who he's always in love with. He, he has a son with her, but he doesn't know it. And towards the end of her life, she writes a letter saying that she's sick. You need to come visit. And he goes, and for the very first time, he's introduced to his son. And she even has an awkward way of trying to introduce him. He says, what's, what's this boy's name? He says, his name is Forrest. He said, that's my name too. And she says, I named him after his daddy. And he goes, he's got a daddy named Forrest Gump? And she, and she has to play it out to him. She says, no, Forrest, you, you're his daddy. And you can see just the, the shock that overcomes his face. And after he's had a moment to process it, he looks at it, and in his simple and yet profound way, he says, he's the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen. And here's God the Father, doing the same thing. They've asked the question about who Jesus is, and now it's revealed to them, and God the Father says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. I'll gather together all the fireworks and harness the energy of power stations and rip supernovas out of the sky, gather every particle of light and switch it on in the known universe, and it will not hold a candle to the glory of the living God. King Louis XIV knew of this glory. Reigned in France for 72 years, built the greatest palace in the history of the world, the Palace of Versailles, and intentionally put lights and windows and mirrors all through it so that the reflection of the light would reflect him as the light king. And when he died, he requested that there only be one light lit in the Cathedral of Notre Dame where he was to have his service to show the glory of the great king. And when he died, that request was met. And as the priest got up to give the eulogy on his behalf with that one candle shining in the cathedral, he snuffed it out. He said, God alone is great. Because all the light in the world will not compare when the sun is not here. But when the sun is the light, he who made light... He who calls into existence the light of the world, it is bright and it is glorious. And Peter and James and John must have felt awfully small that day when they heard the voice of God the Father. The Bible says they fell on their knees and they were terrified. They were shaken to their core because after you've witnessed the terrifying power of their creator and you've heard the voice of the sound of rushing waters, you too will be left terrified. And then after just a touch from Jesus, rise and have no fear. So after they've experienced all of that, the only one left that they see is Jesus. Because someone greater than Moses is here and someone greater than Elijah has arrived. And as they're coming back down the mountain, Jesus gives them the most difficult message in all of history, in some ways, he tells them they can't talk about what they've seen. Now, some of you who can't keep a secret, surely you know the pain of Peter and James and John. They can't say anything about this. That's hard, isn't it? It's not the first time that he's commanded them not to speak about him because, once again, the people would misunderstand his mission and try to manipulate it into national or military liberation. Instead of becoming about the coming of Christ, it would become about trying to make Israel great again. And when you make it about God and country rather than about the glory of God alone, 
you lose out on the greatness of God. Earlier he's asked them, who do people say that I am? They're still trying to answer that question today, are they not? Kevin DeYoung writes about the different types of Jesus who are making their scenes on the horizon as we try to form and fashion Jesus into our own image rather than being fashioned and formed into his. And so there's several Jesuses out there today, depending on which one you worship. There's the Republican Jesus. He's against tax increases and activist judges. He's for family values and owning firearms. There's Democrat Jesus, who is against Wall Street and Walmart for reducing our carbon footprint and printing money. There's Therapist Jesus, who helps us cope with life's problems, heals our past, tells us how valuable we are, and not to be so hard on yourselves. Don't be judgmental. There's Open-Minded Jesus, who loves everyone all the time, no matter what, except for people who are not as open-minded as him. There's Touchdown Jesus, who helps athletes run faster and jump higher than non-Christians and determines the outcome of Super Bowls and hopefully the SEC championship in a few minutes. There's Martyr Jesus, a good man who died a cruel death so we can feel sorry for him. There's Gentle Jesus, who was meek and mild with high cheekbones, flowing hair. He walks around barefoot and wears a sash. There's Hippie Jesus, who teaches everyone to give peace a chance, imagines a world without religion and says all you need is love. There's Spirituality Jesus, who hates religion, churches, pastors, priests, and doctrine, and would rather have people out in nature finding the God within while listening to ambiguously spiritual music. There's Platitude Jesus. He's good for Christmas specials, greeting cards, bad sermons, and inspiring people to believe in themselves. There's Boyfriend Jesus, who wraps his arms around us as we sing about his intoxicating love in our secret place. And if you sing a song without the name of Jesus and you can substitute your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, throw out the song. And there's good example Jesus who shows you how to help people change the planet and become a better you. And then there's Jesus Christ. He's the son of the living God. He comes from Nazareth. He is the one who was prophesied and foretold of Moses and Abraham and David. He will crush the head of the serpent. He is the great I am, the beginning and the end. He is Alpha and Omega. And he is coming back again to rule the world one day. And he will make everything that's wrong in this world right. And if you are here today, day and that offends you much better for you to be mad at me than to you to stand in judgment before the living God because he tells us that John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of Elijah and the reason that the son of man must suffer is because judgment is coming mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord he is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored he has loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword because his truth is marching on and John will later write we have seen his glory glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth you remember earlier, Malachi has prophesied that all things would be restored as a result of the coming of the Lord. Here's what this means to you. God the Father is restoring the beauty and the majesty of His creation through the glorification of His Son. And so when you see the Son of Man lifted up in His transfigured glory and later in His passion, it is the very image that you've been longing for but have tried to find in something or someone else. It isn't a golden calf, it isn't bail, it isn't sports or arts and culture or community. It's all of the hopes and dreams tied up in those things, those tainted images. But here's what God says. When everything is restored back into his image, then all the brokenness in this world, there's a lot of brokenness today. 
broken families, broken dreams, all of the brokenness, Jesus will put back together. Strange from your kids today, the hearts of the fathers to their children. Strange from your parents, hearts of the children to their father. Listen to this. Everything that you think is impossible right now will one day be worked out if you are in Christ. Everything. Now, if you're not in Christ, it will not be worked out, and that's what the suffering of Jesus is for. But a right understanding of the transfiguration is going to lead to transformation. Because if I understand that the glory of the Son of the living God is the essence of everything that life's about, and eternity for that matter, then that means I give Him glory in every area of my life. I work for God's glory. I parent for God's glory. I love my neighbor for God's glory. They say Michelangelo's greatest piece is the Sistine Chapel. The wall there, so he's painted scenes from creation. It was done during the 16th century. About 100 years ago, a massive restoration was done on it because all the soot and all the smoke had gotten into the ceiling and really had tainted the image. And so they spent millions of dollars and decades trying to clean all that off. And once they cleaned it off, they found that the colors and the palettes that Michelangelo had put on there were even more splendid and majestic than they could have imagined before. They saw things they had not seen before. And if we can ever see Jesus rightly for who he is, it would change everything about us. Apart from the dirt of the earth, this Jesus high and lifted up because these disciples who are scared to death on the mountain who run away at the crucifixion become bold in their faith and turn the world upside down. And so how do we respond today? There's a couple of ways to do that. If you're here and you're not a believer, you don't know the Son of the living God. You need to see His glory. Because he took all this glory in Matthew 17 and he laid it aside. And he did it so that you might have life. And if you're here today and you are a believer and you're struggling with all manners of issues, know this. If Jesus is the Son of God, hear this word. You need to listen to him. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. The church of God needs to listen to the voice of God. And when you'll do that, that's where the Spirit works in power and in glory. And so, unbeliever, if you'll come to Him, and believer, if you'll come back to Him in repentance and faith, you will have life. All that joy that you're lacking, all that peace that you just can't find in the midst of your turmoil, Jesus will give it to you. And he says, I give my peace not as the world gives, but I give you peace that is eternal and everlasting. The world will sell you a bag of goods and it will feel good for about 30 seconds and you'll regret it for the rest of your life. But when you come to Jesus, you'll have no regrets. And when you see the Son transfigured in his glory, he says the world will be totally and forever changed. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at veryefields.com.